You're listening to the best of Kevin and Quarry on 93.5 and 107.5. The Fan. Do you remember when you were a kid, Kevin? Like, I couldn't wait until that point in the summer where you didn't know what day it was. You know what I mean? Oh, sure. Without doubt. It's, it's been my life for like 12 years. But The worst is when you get the you start seeing like the school supply ads. Oh, and you're like, Come yeah. on, Target. <laughs> get the hell <laughs> yeah. out of here. You're I mean, right. especially nowadays because it's what? Late July, it seems like. Yeah. You know, people are going back. The back to school sales are the worst. And I would love to see the Colts training camp schedule come out here soon because I do think there are a lot of people, a lot of school kids that love to you know head out to Grand Park. And I've said this before. It's outstanding that in 2023 with 90-some percent of the NFL closing camp or having at their team facility that the Colts still go away for camp and I say away I know it's not you know Anderson or Terre Haute Um, I think it's really cool and it's free and it's a great opportunity the access is tremendous how close you're able to sit there at Grand Park compared to you know obviously what you would pay uh, to go to any game preseason game or a regular season game at Lucas Oil yesterday the NFL had a um conference call about the league's gambling policy and you know a lot of it I certainly agreed with there were a couple elements though that I'm just like this makes very little sense to me and I say that not to like give Isaiah Rogers an excuse or anything like that Um, again assuming that the reports are true these are the six rules the NFL has for their players in terms of gambling don't bet on the NFL Don't gamble at your team facility. Don't have someone bet for you. Don't share team inside info. Don't enter a sports book during the NFL playing season. Don't play daily fantasy. Now, let's go back to the second to last one there. That's the one I have an issue with. Who cares if they go into a sports book? Here's the thing. That makes it almost... That's an unfair one, and let me tell you why. If you play for the Green Bay Packers, I, I used to... Packers suck! <laughs> Kevin, when, when I was younger, I remember the Thursday night football. Back when, when Thursday night football first was becoming a thing. Matter of fact, it might have even been Sunday night football. Which one was on TNT and like Mike Patrick was the play-by-play guy for it? That might have been Sunday night football. TNT, really? Boy, I'm talking mid-90s. Oh, no. uh, no the Colts that. had a long snapper named Bradford Banta. Nice guy out of USC. He was a tight end. And when I worked at the cigar store, Bradford Banta would come in every once in a while. I mean, we were basically the same age. But he really was a nice guy, and he would occasionally ask myself and Larry Langley and, and John Talbot and the guys that I worked at the cigar store with, like, hey, do you guys want to meet up this Sunday and watch, I think it was, it must have been Sunday nights, watch the games, the game. I mean, you know, Washington and Philly are playing, and we would go to a place up in Clearwater and get, you know, I mean, it was totally innocuous. We'd get chicken fingers and wings and watch the game, right? Well, in Las Vegas, if you are a Raider and you're on your bye week or you played on Thursday night football and now it's Sunday night and a couple of guys are like, let's go watch games and and go eat wings and watch games. 90% of the places in Vegas they would go to are sports books. Yeah, and they made it clear on the call yesterday that the rules apply for Vegas and that franchise the same that they do for the other 31. I just don't understand the don't enter a sports book. The other couple issues I had. Um, we used to do, Kevin, uh, I did a play. Imagine this. Last radio station I worked for, we did an afternoon Colts player show from one of the casinos. They came to the casino and right. sat in the casino and did two hours of radio with me. Now, I don't think that the, the casinos here in Indiana have sports books in them, right? Uh, I think it's just... Oh, no. I think it's just Northwest table. Indiana does. Okay, but like not... Anderson or Shelbyville? Correct. Uh there was a comment yesterday that rookies now have to go through mandatory training on the policy. My question to that is, why wasn't this always in place? Correct. I mean, that should be rookie orientation 101. I mean, one of the first, because rookies do spend a little bit extra time in the facility um, outside of the veterans this time of year to just, okay, this is what life in the NFL is all about. You know, we'll help you with your, you know, your fu- Financial help here, you know, real estate help here, all of those things. Um, that to me would have been a no-brainer and exactly something that they should have had in place um, 
all the other you know years ever since the gambling policy was first instituted. And then the last one, and I guess this is more for the other employees, like if you work in the Colts ticketing department, you can't bet on any sport. So players are allowed to bet on other sports. But if you work in ticketing or marketing or you you're blue the mascot, you are not allowed to bet on other sports. That to me, like I don't get the why are players allowed to do some of it, but well, isn't doesn't don't the sports book Taylor apps, can't bet on the Kentucky Derby. Don't don't this don't the Colts take sponsorship money from the apps? Yeah, and again, this gets into kind of the murky, you know, the NFL and franchises are obviously in bed with all of these different gambling apps, but I I don't understand why players would be allowed to do some of the gambling. Right. But Well, so in other words, the the apps are the only sponsor the Colts are taking money from that they encourage their employees to not patronize. Well, not even encouraged. Like you, you're right. not allowed. <laughs> I, I, and I'm not talking about the players. I'm talking about the the woman or the man who takes phone calls or distributes the mail in the building. Yeah, I don't explain that one to me. Why? I, I, there are a lot well, of because they have access to players. Probably. I mean, I, I would assume but that's it's other it. sports. Yeah, that's fair. Yeah. Like so. Anthony Matt, Taylor Richard- can't, Matt Taylor can't put a bet on his Reds. Anthony Richardson could, yes, Anthony Richardson could bet on the Belmont. Matt Taylor cannot bet on the Belmont. That doesn't add up to me. I think there's a lot of parts of the gambling policy NFL-related that I agree with. The integrity of the game, you cannot jeopardize that whatsoever. But some of that stuff that I just read there, don't enter a sports book. Why weren't rookies always doing this mandatory training? And then the last one, employees, to me, the, the business side employees should be allowed to do the same things that the players are. The the Isaiah Rogers story to me is fascinating because it intertwines the two most dangerous things about being a professional sport in 2023, a professional athlete in 2023. The two most dangerous things, the two traps, the two literally swirling like water spout that you can get pulled into if you're an athlete in 2023 are gambling which has probably always been the case and social media and i'm not saying that eventually it wouldn't have come out with isaiah rogers and i'm not saying that doing something and not getting caught makes it any less a crime but three weeks ago or whatever it was I get a text message from somebody that says, hey, I know a guy that knows a guy that talked to a guy that plays for the Colts that is being investigated for gambling. I said, really? And I get a little bit more information. I reach out to somebody else and I go, hey, what do you think of this? And we both are like, I don't know. I mean, there's a lot of, you know, Uber driver says Andrew Luck had snowboarding accident, you know? And then... Literally within like three hours, it comes out on a some obscure website. I don't mean that to, to belittle the website itself, but on a website, there's a report. The NFL is investigating a gambling situation and one like peripheral starter is involved. And I'm like, okay, n- now there's not only smoke, there's a spark here. So there might be fire. And then what happens? But Isaiah Rogers goes to social media and posts a big thing. Yeah, it's me. I'm sorry. I shouldn't have done it. It's terrible. And so you're thinking, okay, well then, and the Colts come out and go, we have, we didn't know about any of this. What's going on? And the Colts are literally asking the reporters that are calling them for comment, like, well, what are you hearing? Because we're not hearing anything. It's been how long now, Kevin? Three weeks? Sounds right, yeah, early June. If Isaiah Rogers had never said a word to anybody, then all we had to go by was just some guy, some some sports page that sent one tweet that, that was a big, not even a ripple, but like was a little bit of noise for like four or five hours, and people were like, what's going on? But once he sent that out, then he basically stood up on top of the mountaintop and was like, I'm here. I took the banana from Kroger. And typically Meyer, but yeah. And so social media and his feeling of necessity of like getting involved in that, again, I'm not saying it that it 
that it would have been okay for him to do it and never be caught, but we've never heard anything more about it. And I'm like, would would this even be in the like? Is it possible that he would have inked a deal and gotten it before any of this came out and nobody would have even known about it had he not mentioned that it was him? If I'm not mistaken, I feel like Stephen Holder and ESPN had reported it was Rodgers before he tweeted that out. So I think we maybe would have had kind of those ancillary sort of reports. But, you know, obviously the Colts confirming it or the NFL confirming it outside of we are aware of the investigation and we'll provide further details at a later. We're still gathering facts. Right. Um, Tim makes a good point. Players have a union. The other Colts employees do not. Yes, that is that is a good point. Again, it, it still doesn't explain to me kind of the full well I guess it explains but I I don't agree with the fact that the other employees um, cannot bet on other sports again I'm not talking football other sports Uh, Trey points out here Shelbyville and French Lick have sports books I I knew that I've been to the French Lick sports book there clearly didn't win uh, because I'm uh, care not to uh, not to remember that Um, it is and we'll see how the Rodgers thing obviously plays out from a punishment standpoint and what goes from there but I do think it's pretty wild to look at the cornerback depth chart right now exiting the spring. And by the way, 1075thefan.com, I posted a depth chart earlier in the week of what I think things look like offense and defensively uh, heading into training camp from a depth chart standpoint. Jake, you're starting corners right now. And like unquestionably, you're starting corners. One is, in my opinion, the most disappointing Colt from last season. And now he's in a contract year, and just given the nature of that depth chart, he might be one of your more indispensable Colts this season, and that would be Kenny Moore. Um, And the other starting corner that, I don't know if I'm writing it in Sharpie on paper right now, but it's in in pen, and you you look for your wideout, is Dallas Flowers. And in mid-December of last year, Jake, Dallas Flowers had yet to play a defensive snap in the NFL. With a month to go in the season, he had yet to play a defensive snap in the NFL. And here we are, nine months later, and he's a definite starter at corner. It's it's crazy how that position group has changed so much and how it is just littered with inexperience. And again, we'll get to training camp here in a little over a month. And a guy like Juju Brents, a second-round pick out of Warren Central, he's going to have a great opportunity. Didn't participate in the spring due to a wrist injury. He's going to have a great opportunity to be, I think, that third corner, that other outside corner when you get into your nickel packages. Uh, you know, Darius Rush, the fifth-round pick out of South Carolina. A couple of obscure veterans in Daryl Baker Jr. and Tony Brown. I mean, that is a position group that... We're not talking about a bunch of right guards and left guards. I mean, corners matter big time. Uh, it is a group that just is wildly inexperienced. And then you got Kenny Moore, a guy that, again, I think qualifies as the most disappointing player from last season. Yeah, the Kenny Moore is going to have to have a big-time bounce-back year, right? Huge for the team and individually. I, I guess Contract with, year for In him. Kenny Moore's case, Kevin, you almost want to ask yourself, like, which who's the real Kenny Moore, right? I think that's a fair question. I, I think that's a fair question. And that was probably one of the more... The Colts haven't had a lot of these that kind of bleed into the public eye of, yeah, I had issues with the coaching staff. The coaching staff had issues with me. Kenny Moore, I think, qualifies as that from last season. The Colts haven't had a lot of those you know, volatile characters in a locker room. And, and I don't think even Kenny necessarily qualifies as that. But in a very professional manner, he said that, and the Colts staff said that, of like, guys, we were not on the same page at all. And so how he reacts to that in a second season with Gus Bradley, that's a dude that really wants Matt Eberflus back. He's a guy that I think thrived in that system. And it was one year, but he did not have that sort of uh, season at all last year. Cornerback giving you like left tackle vibes from last season? Yeah, that's that's a good way to put it, Mark. Yeah. And again, I've said this before. I'm okay with playing the youth there. I just think we all need to accept it. It's more just kind of wild to me how much that position has changed in nine months. I mean, Dallas Flowers was nowhere. I mean, Jake brought him up because he went to Pittsburgh State and they're the gorillas. And now all of a sudden he's right. like, I mean, when you list the... He had one good in the... In the Dallas Flowers, I remember. What was it... The, he had like a, a kind of a fun interception in preseason or whatever, and I think almost jokingly, I'm like, yeah. I love that guy, you know, yeah. And now 
at the positions that really matter in the NFL, Mark, to your point, left tackle, wide out, defensive end, corner, you know, one of those ones, non-quarterback, you've got a dude that all of a sudden has become a really important player with the trade of Stephon Gilmore and potentially a very long absence for Isaiah Rogers Sr. Do we get the Isaiah Rogers Sr. news dump at uh, Friday at 5 o'clock, July 4th week? Is that your prediction? I, I mean, it is. When did the John Morant thing come out? Wasn't that Friday, last Friday? I do think they did a nice job with the John Morant waiting past the parade, too. Mm-hmm. I was glad they kind of gave Denver their moment, but that was, I mean, that was what, Friday midday? Yeah. Uh-huh. yeah, I could see Friday, July 4th weekend. Dylan Brooks for the Pacers? Yeesh. No, thank you. That's the type of skill set you need, though. Uh-huh. It's one thing to have a skill set. It's the other to like constantly go on and on about having it beyond your level of capability, right? I yeah, mean, he I, did not have a good playoff, obviously. Yeah, I, I would not do it, but it's that type of player this team needs. I saw yesterday, I forget where I read this, that Desmond Bain for Memphis is like going to get a max contract. You want to talk about obscure dude from the state of Indiana that is going to go down as one of the better modern Indiana, the state of Indiana players, and a, you know is going to make a whole lot of money in his career. Desmond Payne's got to be close to the top of the list. It was the dude, what, a fringe Indiana all-star? Yeah. Out of, out of Richmond? Yeah. Didn't even go to Richmond. Went to... Um, he went to a small school, yeah, right? Like Seton a- Catholic, and then goes to TCU, and talk about a hell of a career for him. He looks like a linebacker to me. I, back to Dylan Brooks, like where does he end up? Did he talk his way out of the NBA? No, I, I, no, I, I don't think we're there. But that it will be really interesting. I mean, that, he's that, a, and also the Draymond Green is Draymond Green just you know a slam dunk to return to Golden State. I think Draymond Green could be his Brooks's replacement at Memphis, right? Oh boy, John Moran, Draymond Green. Oof. Dylan Brooks gives me like he's going to be on like the Houston Rockets next year or something like that. Yeah, I mean kind somebody will will pay for it. And I this is probably a little little bit of a slippery slope because I'm not of this thinking. I'm not of this thinking that the Pacers, you know, oh my, they, Jake, they need guys in the community that you know they need guys that you know choir boys. I, I'm not there, but I think you've got a really nice core in place, and it, by all accounts, off the floor, you've got some guys that. You know, Halliburton strikes me as the guy you want leading this. And again, Matherin's just edge, I think, is really important as well. I don't know if you want to bring in some dominant personality that could ruffle that. There might be a point in this rebuild where you do want to shake some things up, but I think for now, you continue to let Halliburton lead and Matherin be, you know, kind of that different personality to play off him. I mean,. It seems like, you know, for the Pacers, let's be honest, their core is there, right? You got a pretty good idea. Yeah, I think you need one more, you know, really important piece to it. Let's put it this way. What 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 team, Kevin, give, give me a, a, a team of, like a great NBA team of the last 10 years. Like, not, not like a one-year anomaly, but like a, a truly great team. Golden State. Okay. So for Golden State... You know if you are the Pacers. So Steph Curry is your Halliburton, right? That's the guy that the ball is going through them. He's the the, trend, the tone setter. Um, Matherin, you're hoping, becomes your Clay Thompson, right? What player, what, what member of Golden State are the Pacers missing? Yeah, it, it is probably like a Draymond piece. Or even like a... a Jordan Poole. Yeah, Jordan Poole's a good one. Yeah, I think you have your all-star in Halliburton. You hope to have an all-star in Matherin. Now it's who's that third or fourth option. You know, if you look at Denver in the playoffs, again, we're not comparing, and I know you weren't doing this, Jake, we're not saying that Halliburton is Jokic and Matherin is Jamal Murray, but in this sort of rebuild, that's what those two pieces represent. Now the question, I think, is, okay, you still need a Michael Porter, and an Aaron Gordon type. And, 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 you know, Turner and Heald, I think in their own ways, can be like that. But obviously, long term, you don't necessarily have a question 
or that isn't as much of a sure thing. Heald, given his age, Turner probably a little bit more, just his contractual value. And then I don't think injuries are a huge deal with them, but he certainly has had some in his career. Mark Dykton, did you just get pranked by Charlie Clifford? I did. He got me good, too. Oh, my gosh. I got totally thrown off. Charlie, outstanding. Walk us through this prank. I don't think Mark has ever been pranked. Um, first of all, great to hear your voice, KB. I I may have screwed it up, but it did work. So I what? answered the phone and just said J. Heilman Brewing Company, which, you know, I was going along with your blue ribbon joke, but now that I'm thinking about it, I think they I think they brewed old style back in the day. Maybe that wasn't blue ribbon as well. I don't know. I need to phone a friend here. Outstanding, Mark. Your reaction was I was like, "Wow, I must have really like because the nine on the on the keypad stuck." So I was like, "Maybe I hit an extra nine and I just dialed someone different." Hey, it's early for everybody. What's Boy, going on? Charlie's pulling off pranks as good as the Reds are playing baseball. Uh, things are great, man. How's uh, oh my god? How how's life in Cincy? I'm giving you all the credit for sparking this unbelievable run by the Reds. I know. And I, I'll take it all. I'll take it all. I, there's no coincidence here. It's been it's been fun. Young team, out of the blue season. I mean, yesterday they designated Will Myers for assignment, which was the only player not named Joey Votto currently on the payroll, making over two and a half million this year. I mean, it's just it's making money it's making moneyball look like the yankees i mean truly and i mean that in the most respectful way i mean these it is a bunch of guys trying to prove that they belong here and uh, i think 500 would have been a huge success and any red fan would have taken that and instead to to have this run and to be in the middle of an nl central that um you know will not will not scare any of these young guys away i mean it it's going to be a fun summer here. There's no way around it. Charlie, I know for a lot of people here, baseball team, you know, it was interesting to me when I was in the situation you are of when I went to St. Louis. So going to a market yeah. where baseball is, you know, a major theme in the summer because what I found interesting was each series, teams would win or lose in different ways. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Covering a baseball team is different than just being a casual fan. So I wanted to know from your perspective, this sudden awakening of the Reds and this streak comes because they are doing what? I think it's the base paths. I think everything starts there. Everyone in this lineup, minus Votto and who's ever in the catching spot each night, is a legitimate threat on the bases. This isn't a home run hitting team. They are not going to rely on the long ball and I think that bolds well if if they are able to get into the postseason out of the central but you've seen the stuff go viral with Ellie De La Cruz he's not the only one that's taking the extra base David Bell deserves a ton of credit I think his demeanor with this young team you know he'll get fired up and he'll get thrown out what seems to be every other week you know once but he's so even keeled and I think that's important because, look, there's a log jam, and he's having to put certain guys on the bench each night that probably deserve to stay in there uh, because of how deep this team's become in like a month's time. But, yeah, I think everything starts on the bases. And then and the bullpen's just been, I think, for Reds fans listening, you're like, oh, my gosh, how, how did it come together this well? I mean, Alexis Diaz – now 20 for 20 and saves he'll be in the all-star game no question about it and you know it's just been a perfect storm really so i'll stick with that analogy that cardinals team for example that i covered had kind of like ellie de la cruz in the fact that there was a rookie player that had been on the radar coming up through the ranks and people were excited about him and then he just took the league by storm. He was the buzz of baseball. Everybody was excited. He was different. And it was Ricky and Keel. And Ricky yep. and Keel, while a, a wonderful player, he was really arrogant. He was really reckless. And it all collapsed on them. And then yeah. he came back and reinvented himself elsewhere. Ellie De La Cruz, I have no idea what he's like. So my question for you is what kind because he has the same grip on this franchise, but what kind of player or guy does he or what kind of guy does he seem to be at this point? 
Well, he can throw 96 from third base, and he could probably locate it better than an Ankeel did. So maybe that's a start. <laughs> but um, I don't know if that's saying much. <laughs> yeah, no, a little high there, Rick. Let's bring yeah. it. Um, he is he's working on his English, but this guy has had a smile on his face, you know, since day one. Actually, before day one, Olivia Ray, who I know plenty of folks miss in India as well, she went down in. Um, to Louisville before he got called up and did a you know lengthy sit down. You know, this is a young man, youngest of nine kids. Um, you know, grew up in an apartment in the Dominican Republic. You know, came from a situation that you know I think we can all nod our heads and say, "Wow, that just the odds there to even have a chance to play professional baseball." And I, I think he carries with you know that with him every night. I mean, he he's having fun. He's not stress. You know, he, he's stress free essentially. And I asked Joey Votto the other night, "What's one piece of advice you would give this kid if if he asked?" And he just said, "Look, the sixth tool to be a major league baseball star is resiliency. You're going to have lower lows than you've ever had in your life, and you're just going to have to have that grit to." to push through it because you, you just said it at the top. It's a long season. It's so much different covering baseball than the NFL where it's one game a week. Um, and the beautiful thing right now in Cincinnati is, you know, every day feels like Friday. I mean, Reds fans are waking up thinking, all right, what, what do I have to do before that game starts? Because uh, it's just been, it's just been a crazy, crazy turn of events uh, in, you know, really two months. Charlie Clifford, he's down in Cincinnati right now. WLWT, that's the NBC affiliate. Uh, Charlie, of course, you heard him on these airwaves a lot. Watched him on Wish TV. He's with us here on the Payless Liquors Hotline. Charlie, you were in this market for how many years? Uh, six, six great six years. years. Six quarterbacks, but six, you know. So <laughs> well, I, you're going to have Richardson now for for fifteen. Now that I broke that that streak, and I hope he's. People hope you're right. I've been, re- yeah, I've been reading and listening, and I'm encouraged of uh, the early reports. Well, nothing against you, but if Colts fans had to see you exit town for Anthony Richardson <laughs> to be their QB for the next decade yeah, and a half, that'd be I, a pretty good deal. Yeah, I think they will take yeah. it. Um, <laughs> who would you compare Joey Votto to from an indie sports scene? I, I'm such a sucker for atmosphere. I'm such mm-hmm. a sucker for nostalgia and cool sport moments. I didn't want Wyndham Clark to win at all, and as soon as he made that putt and he <laughs> lost it, I was kind of like, why was I not Wait. rooting for this guy the whole time? Uh, the scene with Votto the other night in his season debut, I I, I, I couldn't get enough of it. Um would you compare him to anybody from an indie sports scene standpoint? Uh, first of all, the KB voodoo doll was out and Tiger Woods wasn't involved. <laughs> you're, you're throwing this kid yeah, under the bus. I might have had a 529 on old Rory there. So oh, we're back to the drawing board in the Bowen household. Yeah, you know better than that. At this Don't point. tell Maddie that, I, though. Yeah, I, I think the only, you know, again, I've full disclosure. Votto's been around, you know, a few days now. Um, but we have spoken to him a couple times. I, I think Philip Rivers would be the only person in my, you know, brief run through Indy there, at least in person, that would come to mind just because every answer he gives is legitimately intriguing. There are no stock answers. I think that's, you know, a journalist's dream, right? I, I'm not going to get the auto response. I'm not going to get the cliche, you know, I could have written that last night when I was thinking about what question am I going to ask this guy? He is very, you know, he's just such a a deep thinker. And um, to see, you know, for somebody new like me to show up, this guy's been here 17 seasons now and to see him reflect on, you know, really some, some lean years there and sticking it out and having this, crazy rotator bicep surgery at 38 not knowing if all this was going to pay off to even get back and then to have that night two nights ago um you know it just makes you appreciate what we don't see in sports anymore which is someone wearing the same jersey their whole career and being really good um so i think especially in a city like this considering how long it's been 
since the Reds have brought this sort of feeling to their fan base. Um, you know, I don't think it's a coincidence that Votto had that night, and I think the hope is from here that he can just contribute and be a piece because the beauty for him is he doesn't have to be 2010 MVP Joey Votto. He, you know, just keep these kids moving in the right direction and and deliver some clutch hits, and I think that'll be enough to keep them in the lineup. Uh, Charlie, I'm going to ask the question that's probably going to get me the most mocked of uh, how did Quarry not know this? Uh, what's the origin of the Viking stuff? You know, Jake Fraley was in on it. Um, I think as we've seen across Major League Baseball, it seems like every dugout kind of has a thing. Um, but again, as for like where it actually sparked in, in spring training, I'm not exactly sure. I'm a little surprised that they haven't gotten thrown at yet. Did you guys see the other night? Obviously, Votto's curtain call, you know, you can understand that. But um, I've just been amazed this year how we've gone in, like, two seasons from, like, a a small bat flip would spark a benches-clearing brawl to now we're just full-blown, you know, get the guys are out of the dugout, people are hopping over the railings every home run. Have you two noticed this? Oh yeah, seismic shift like overnight. I I love I it. It's cool, yeah. I mean, I, I, I was yeah, baseball I was is too many. They kind of need it, right? Too many unwritten rules. <laughs> Celebrate. I mean, I honestly, it's probably more of a college thing that kind of bled into Major League Baseball. I, I feel like it, it's been very well. I mean, hell, is it, are we going back to turnover chain? Should we thank the Miami Hurricanes for oh for igniting all of this? Here's a question for you two, as like because when I was in Indy. You know, I, I didn't hide the fact I I watched less baseball than I ever did in my life. You know, growing up a Cub fan, I was in the Brewers market for two years. Do you think the rule changes are working for folks that, you know, aren't glued? And forgive me if you two are, are watching a specific team every night. Do you think these changes are absolutely making a difference for the casual fan? Yes, and I'll tell you why from my standpoint. Not necessarily applicable to me, but I'm not a soccer fan. I've been hearing about how soccer is the sport of the future since 1978. However, <laughs> however, for young people, and when I say young, Charlie, I mean I'm probably going to go like let's say 30 or 25 and younger. Yeah, they have grown up watching like Premier League, and that has in in for that group. We live in a world now between social media phones everything else the attention span is just much shorter and people are in constant crave of a redirection of focus and so therefore they want quick moving right they want boom 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 no timeouts whatever else baseball had so much downtime that i think they were losing the younger person audience and this keeps it moving yeah (laughs) and so i think that 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 not only now I'm not saying that that immediately has gotten the younger people, but when younger people are watching, they are more likely now to stick around because that's the beauty of, of a soccer match. The beauty of it is, you know, it's two hours. It's a two-hour right. uh, two investment. And I, this does shorten it up, and I think it makes it easier to watch games. Kevin, what say you? Yeah, I, I, I would basically check every box that Jake just just said. I, I, I agree whole wholeheartedly. And, and I think the numbers back it up. Um yeah, I, I just feel like you now have an expectation when you turn into it of like, I, I don't have to commit, again, three plus hours to it. And in this day and age, when everything's at the fingertip to entertain you, uh, that's huge. So kudos to baseball for, again, getting away from the un- unwritten rules and adapting with the times. Yeah, that's interesting to hear. And I'm a fan of that, you know, minimum batter rule too. It, it just feels like the late game stuff. You know, really, stuff that the NFL is still trying to figure out. How do we? How do the last three minutes not take forty minutes? You know, when I, I think baseball's, you know, yeah, college basketball's probably got the too. biggest issue with that. You know, how many times we go into the monitor uh, and, and, and you know, oh how, my, yeah, yeah, right, good call. Uh, how about NASCAR? Uh, sure, <laughs> sure. <laughs> how many? 
How many? Uh, I, I won't make an Indy 500 joke because I know it's fresh and I know we're all happy. No, I get it. I mean, I get it, <laughs> yeah. Charlie. The reality is this: the reality is another red flag. You get I think one. people were excited by the red flag, by the by the green flag dash at the end of the Indy 500. But the reality is that the people that were opposed to the red flag, it's because they don't want to get into the slippery slope of the green white checkered like last i mean how many i i've called nascar races where the last 10 percent of the race took up 70 percent of the time you know what i mean casey kane casey kane and what was that 17 yeah the, uh, it was literally dark that out <laughs> that was nuts that was nuts if if i may jake uh one of your favorite maybe untold stories for me since i was look full disclosure i had i missed I'm missing Indy, you know, often. It, it was so great, but especially May. I mean, that that absolutely stunk not being there. As as happy and as I'm thankful I am to to be here. Um, any untold stories from May that you could pass along this morning, or a story that that will stick out from behind the scenes? Boy, that's a really good question. Um... I've got to think about that. I, you know, the, okay, this you've made Jake speechless. Right? Yeah, I don't know. I will say this, and I'm sure you mean like you know some crazy story from the bus lot or something like that. I, or I, just, I, yeah, something you have a unique eye and you tend to catch things. I, and, I'll uh, tell you one thing that I thought was interesting. I'll tell you one yeah. thing I thought was interesting during Carb Day, which is a two-hour practice. Mm-hmm. I was up there because we we do kind of a rehearsal in Carb Day for the radio network. We go up and we call it a fax check. So we're just making sure that everybody's headsets work and we have our drop points down pat. It's basically a dress rehearsal. And they're doing the practice and we're calling the practice almost like it's a race. I mean, literally, like we had to remind ourselves, this isn't really a race, guys. Like we're sitting here like (laughs) so-and-so takes the lead. I'm like, I don't do that. They're just, there's 30 cars out there right now. The one guy who I realized whose name that we weren't calling was Joseph Newgarden. And I'm like, w- w- we're sitting here talking about like Pato's running, uh, you know, there's this pack of cars and Pato Award and Rossi and Erickson, they're all up there. And I'm like, where is Newgarden? And then I noticed that from like 11.45 to 12.15 for like 30 minutes, everybody else was out there running in groups and Joseph Newgarden was out completely by himself and running and turning multiple laps, like 10 to 15 at a time, in the middle groove and outside line of the racetrack, completely by himself. And his car was absolutely glued to the track, and there was no movement on his exit to the turn of the rear of the car. And right then, I literally said, Joseph Newgarden's going to win the race. Because he just went out and figured out the the lines that where he's going to have to put his car when it matters most, and his car looks perfect in traffic, and looks perfect in the... Everybody else was driving the line that's comfortable. And Newgarden spent yeah. that entire practice mastering the line that was not. And I'm like, he's going to win the race. The lone wolf. Correct. The lone wolf. Correct. That That's sweet right there. I mean... I mean, that, that was, to me, that was, you know, it was an interesting month, though, Charlie, because it was just kind of, um, this this month more than any other for the month of May or two weeks or whatever you want to call it, like, there was, it, it just kind of, it I'm clean, not going to say, right? yeah, it didn't sneak up, it was yeah. clean, it didn't sneak up on me, but like, it was just checking the box each day of the task at hand getting done, and there wasn't anything monumental that jumped out. Other than the crowd was was I, I mean that was the biggest crowd I've seen maybe even up to 2016. I mean it was massive, wow. massive crowd. It was pretty awesome. I guess the beauty of a quiet start is I mean where does that I know you've discussed this both of you at length that celebration to me you know I that was the thing I was always thinking about the night before the race. Oh, are we going to get? you know, an unforgettable post-race celebration on the Yard of Bricks. I mean, it, I assume that has to be very high up there in terms of, you know, visuals. Some perspective there quickly before I well, I thought sabotage this whole interview. Charlie, I thought the thing that was most impressive to me about Newgarden getting out of the car and going into the crowd, which just stunned everybody, but... That was the how, first thing I asked. How him. he had him knew? On the show yeah. How did he know where the photographer hole was? I mean, because you know that's that area he went through is there for I think for photographer purposes. 
But he had scouted that out, didn't he? Say like his rookie year, Kevin? yeah. And he'd only told like one other person about it, and um, yeah. And then Tim Tim Sendrick we had on later in the day was like, "I'm running over there." I'm like, "Where the hell is he?" Yeah, you know. I mean, <laughs> yeah. the thing is, like, to, to plan to do that is one thing, like ahead of time, but then to remember that you had thought about that, yeah, in that moment's impressive. Yeah, pretty impressive. I, I thought it was cool. I, you know, he's been. Uh, let's face it. He he knows he's one of the most talented, and I like sometimes the celebration stuff isn't there because you expect to win and for him to do that i just thought oh gosh this is that that's just i mean you know what he things out there quite frankly he awesome was headed moment. towards charlie becoming the jo- the joey Votto of the indy 500 a guy that had done everything but that was yeah. the one thing that escaped yeah. him right man there's full circle right there you're right you're right and shoot i mean if I'm trying to think. I mean, Jake, you've been around the Reds longer than I have. I mean, the fact that they're going for 11 straight tonight, the big red machine never did it. The I know. Wire to wire, the wire-to-wire team in 90 never did it. Um, you know, this is with series in St. Louis and Houston. Um, it's, it's just – I know Reds fans are just – you can't take the smile off your face. It's just, it's just nuts. So Wednesday hump day day party potentially down in the Queen yeah, right? City. Charlie, <laughs> I love it. Uh, listener just texted right here. Uh, Charlie's asking for recaps like he missed senior year spring break. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. A little my reminiscing grades, here. My grades were just good enough to get you know the green light on that trip. It was it was down to that last exam. Right. So, all right, you can go. You can go. Go go have some fun. Charlie, I miss you, man. I owe you that beer still, so definitely have to do that. I'm such a big fan of Cincinnati. I love we were down there probably just before you got down there, so we try to get down there at least once a year. So hopefully we'll get that on the agenda here at some point, and we got to have you back on certainly later to talk about the Reds. Hell, they could be buyers coming up in a month, which is just a shocking statement to make. Yeah, it's funny you say that. The general manager told us yesterday, Nick Crawl, that they they do plan on being buyers. You know, they they have the financial flexibility, which is a bit of a change around here. But that sounds great, fellas. And as I always say, Indy very lucky to have you two at the at the helm. And um, miss you both. Appreciate everything you guys have done for me behind the scenes. Don't forget it, Charlie. Thank you. Much appreciated. And likewise, See you, fellas. Less than 36 hours away. Actually, probably 36 hours from now, the Pacers will be making their selection at number seven. Of course, that is pending that they stay at number seven and indeed choose right there. To talk more about that, Alex Golden joins us. A terrific job covering the Pacers at Alex Golden NBA on Twitter. All right, Alex. Um, who would have you jumping up and down like Benedict Matherin for me uh, last year? At number seven, and who would have you saying what in the world was that at number seven? <laughs> well, that's a that's a tough one. I think jumping up and down, I'm I'm pretty into the idea of Taylor Hendricks at the four. There uh, could be a really nice fit with the Pacers. I think that uh, Star Thompson is also one that I would be really excited about, just because there's such a, a mystery box type of element to him and what he can become, but. Um, you know, really, I don't think there's anybody in their range that would make me feel like, oh, God, really. Uh, I, I guess I'd have to say Grady Dick to the fall at seven. Even though I think Grady Dick's a really good player, I do worry a little bit about taking him at seven. I feel like it's just a bit too early. And then Anthony Black, he's another guy that I really like as a prospect, but don't know if he makes a lot of sense for the Pacers. Maybe he does, maybe he doesn't. But out of all those names, those exciting the most. And the one that's the biggest question mark for me is Cam Whitmore. Ton of talent. Don't know if this is a smokescreen with him sliding down or not, like we've seen in recent mocks. But uh, I don't love his fit with the Pacers, but I love his talent. So it's one of those things where I wouldn't be upset at the pick, but I would also kind of question how are they going to make this work. So uh, that's that's probably how I'd answer that question the best, Katie. I, I was hoping you could expand a little bit more on Taylor Hendricks. I, I've said for several weeks now, Jairus Walker or Taylor Hendricks, I'd be totally good with that tomorrow night at 7. I probably have Hendricks a little bit closer to Walker than than maybe most. I think some people are like, yeah, definitely Walker. But Hendricks' length, Hendricks' ability to shoot the basketball, I think are very, very attractive to me. Uh, what do you like about Hendricks in particular? Yeah, I think with Hendricks, it's just he's got a little bit more upside to me than Jairus Walker. I think that Jairus Walker is a very good player. And if you're looking at 
their attributes straight across the board. I would probably say aside from shooting and secondary rim protection, that right now Jairus Walker probably has the upper advantage over Taylor Hendricks and all that, uh, all the other categories. But I, I just value shooting so much, especially in Rick Carlisle's offense. And I think having that secondary rim protector next to a Miles Turner makes a lot of sense. I think when you're looking at Miles, um, if, if he is on the team long term, we saw how that looks when you don't have a shooter out there with him. Other teams will put their power forwards on him, and it does take away from what Miles can do when he's being guarded by a center. So we'll see teams put their center on the four that can't shoot, and that's kind of where Jairus Walker's at. Um, the Athletic, they did an awesome article yesterday where they interviewed a bunch of different executives and coaches in college talking about these two, like about a lot of prospects, but these two prospects in particular were brought up. And one that they talked about was Hendricks. They really highlighted how at the end of the games, they gave him the ball and he was able to deliver. He became the guy. He was able to score on the elbow, take contested shots, even though they weren't necessarily like the ideal shot. He knows how to have that pressure on him being the guy at UCF. So I think he's not going to be that guy in Indiana right away, but he has that capability. Um, so I think people are sleeping on him a little bit in terms of his overall talent because I feel like this is a guy that fits in seamlessly with what the Pacers want to do. I think fit-wise, he's the best pick, and I think upside between him and Walker, uh, I think he's got a higher upside as well. Alex, let me make a statement. I want you to tell me true or false or don't know, okay? Okay. Uh, I got the feeling that in his individual workout that Grady Dick did enough to at least make the Pacers think about whether or not they were willing to wait on him to grow defensively and or sacrifice getting a lockdown defender at the seven spot because they felt he shoots it at such a high and potentially rare level that he intrigued them more than they probably wanted to be intrigued. Your thoughts? Yeah, um, that's true or not. I'm trusting your word on it. Um, but I can kind of see that being the case. I think that Grady Dick's a really good player, and he's been undervalued quite a bit during the draft process. Like, I know I said I wouldn't like him at 7. I feel like it's too early. But if at, he's there at 10 or 11 and the Pacers can get a second pick, then, yeah, I would love to have Grady Dick on my team. So it's it's one of those things. I don't feel like his ceiling's as high as some of the other guys that I've mentioned there, but – with Grady Dick, he's a very good offensive player, and he does a lot of things. He's not just a shooter, and I hate that he gets kind of pigeonholed into that category. It's just like, oh, there's a white guy that can shoot. No, he cuts really well, smart feel for the game, high basketball IQ. This is a guy that is going to help teams. Now, he's a role player. That's, that's his ceiling, in my opinion. But, yeah, I think that he could fit pretty well with the Pacers, but he doesn't, to me, fill the position of need that they need to address the most. And I don't think the defense, it may come, but it might never come. So that's the only concern I had uh, with him. But I, I do think that, yeah, he's a good basketball player. I can see why the Pacers would be intrigued. And, you know, Kevin Pritchard being a Kansas alumni, I'm sure there's a little bit of bias there, too, with, uh, you know, looking at a guy that he might like from, uh, from his alma mater. And Alex Golden is with us here. It's Alex Golden NBA on Twitter. Uh, draft coverage through the roof here over the past couple of months, and all of it obviously tomorrow at eight o'clock, right here on these airwaves. Alex, I don't know if report is too much credence to it, but Jonathan Gavoni, the ESPN draft analyst, so the Mel Kiper, if you will, of the NFL or uh, of the NBA side of it, um, he reported yesterday in his write up on the Pacers. Uh, and I think he had Hendricks going to them at seven. He mentioned three veteran wings that there could be some interest in. He mentioned Tobias Harris, DeAndre Hunter, Dorian Finney-Smith. I guess you call them wings, maybe fours, however you want to describe it. Um, your thoughts on it, either of those three potentially being a pacer if they move number seven? Yeah, well, Jake Fisher, in his article, this I think it was last week, he talked about how the Pacers did try to trade for DeAndre Hunter at the trade deadline. So that name resurfacing didn't surprise me. I think Dorian Finney-Smith is a good player. I think Tobias Harris is a good player. But there's no way I'm giving up number seven for either of those two guys, in my opinion. The reason that DeAndre Hunter makes sense for number seven is because he just signed an extension. So he's got four years on his uh, new contract that goes in, his new extension that goes into play this year. have to wonder if Atlanta would even be willing to move him, what it would cost besides seven. 
Um, and I wouldn't want to give them too much more than that because I just I just value drafting guys on their rookie contract scales and rookie scale contracts. So, yeah, I think DeAndre Hunter is one that it does entice me. Uh, the Hawks also have pick 15, so if there was a way that you could get back into uh, the middle of the first round and get 15 with DeAndre Hunter for number seven and whatever salary needs to go back to make that deal work, then, yeah, I think that does make some sense because he fits that timeline Right there, I think he's around the age 24, 25, if I'm not mistaken. So, fits with what they're trying to do and helps them win now if that's the ultimate goal. But Jordan Finney-Smith, a uh, good player, but I think he lost a lot of value once he left Dallas and then went to Brooklyn. And then Tobias Harris has an expiring contract. I'm not giving up number seven for a guy that's making almost $40 million a year on an expiring. So, uh, I, I don't necessarily agree with that one, but I, uh, I definitely can see DeAndre Hunter. It's interesting, Alex. I heard a lot of I heard a lot of people, or I've read places, for example, that one of the names that interests, maybe not the Pacers, but you know Kyle Kuzma now, right? Who's kind of a journeyman at this point, but Kuzma's a name that's been linked to the Pacers in the past, and it's funny. One, the the only time in my relationship with people within the Pacers' offices over the years, and I'm going back a ways. The only player that's ever been specifically used as an example to me of a player that the Pacers backed away from after learning more about just the player and, and what the player necessitates and whatever else was Kyle Kuzma. That's the only guy whose name's ever been mentioned and then you know now he's available. My point being, I think we just kind of never know truthfully everything that goes into the study and the analysis of a player. Now, all of that said, how active do you believe the Pacers are going to be tomorrow night aside from the areas where it is slated for them to be active? Oh, man. I mean, we know they're not going to take all the picks. I mean, that's pretty obvious. I don't know what they're going to do with them. But based on reporting, they've been linked to a lot of different different trade scenarios, whether it's trading up, trading back, trading completely out. So I think they're going to be pretty active. Uh, I, I, deals are gonna get oh boy, Alex is in that. Uh, he's in that septic tank at the bottom of the ocean, right? Alex, we got you back. Oh, can you hear me? How's the Titanic look from there? Loud and clear. <laughs> I don't know what happened. Maybe my service went out. Sorry, I was driving. Uh, but no, I uh, I think that honestly, like trading out could be a problem. For me personally, I just don't think that they're in a situation where they're ready to do that unless they get a player that makes a lot of sense. But um, I think they're going to be pretty active, but I, I just wonder how active they'll be able to be with uh, the talent that they have. I know Brian Lindhorst said that the Pacers on one of his podcasts said that if they're motivated, they can get things done. So I just wonder how motivated are the Pacers to try and, you know, get some real wing talent here. It's no doubt that's what they want to address. And that excited me to hear that. So, I think they're going to be pretty active. Kevin Pritchard's talked about it. I think Chad Buchanan has talked about it as well in multiple different places. Like, you know, this is the time to do it. The new CBA could be a, a big reason why you see a lot more trades happen as well. Alex Golden's with us here on the Payless Lickers Hotline. Setting the pace is the podcast that Alex is on. Uh, does a tremendous job with that. Um, Alex, it's not like my top priority, but I think when you get to picks 26, 29, and 32, I am not opposed at all to trading one of them for a future first-rounder. Um, I, I just think it's important that, you know, this is not a trust-the-process, a six-year rebuild, but this is also not a boom, next year the Pacers need to be a two-seed and you know win 55 games. Like I, I still want to try and maintain, I think, a little bit of you know optionality to steal the Kevin Pritchard wor- word uh, down the road because I think at some point you are going to be at that point as a franchise, and it might be you know this year. It might be the following year of a, hey, it's the trade deadline and we want to be buyers. So instead of acquiring the draft picks, you want to move a draft pick for a player. What would be your thoughts on, again, 26, 29, 32 in that range, trading one of them for a future first? I think that's more than likely what they end up doing if they're not able to consolidate their picks to move up. I think that trading out of this draft and getting future picks, whether it's next year's draft or a later draft, can make a lot of sense. Uh, The New York Knicks are a team that I keep an eye on because I think they acquired three first-round picks last year from the Thunder to trade pick 11. 
and I think they're a team that could be interested in getting in the back end of this draft because they don't have their draft pick. And they're a team that could be, okay, let's buy a pick here from the Pacers at 26-29. And you know this just as well as I do, K, uh, KB. It's, it's one of those things where picks are so much more valuable until they're actually taken, right? And if you could say, well, we've got you know an extra pick in 2024, we've got our 2025, we've got our own 2024, and you got all your picks lined up for the future, yeah, you can be more aggressive in buying a player when you want to be a buyer and you feel like you're at that point. So pushing your assets further down the road, you're totally right. It does not mean you're saying trust the process, do all that. It just means, hey, this roster is already pretty full. We can't take all these guys on. Let's turn our assets this draft into future drafts and maybe use those picks as something that can help us out in the long run. So I, I totally agree with that assessment. And I think that's what the Pacers probably are thinking in the back of their head helps them as well. Because um, if it's something like OG and Obi becomes available, future picks is going to help you then instead of saying, well, we drafted this guy in 29 with July Kim. So that to me is where I, I think that the picks just have more value. Alex, give me the player on the Pacers roster currently that holds more value to the Pacers than he does in the league. Oh, I would I would probably say Andrew Nimhard uh, first. And then I would probably lean Aaron Neesmith. Yeah. I think that Neesmith means a lot to this team and what they're trying to build. And I think um, whether he's a starter or a six-man, we're still not sure. Kevin Pritchard said that they don't know what he is yet. But I think that he is just a great player to have on this roster. And teams might think, well, you know, he got a bigger role on a team that didn't make the playoffs. His value might not be as high. But I think he could be the guy that – could be a playoff X Factor type of guy in a series if they were to keep him. So I'm a little bit, little bit hesitant to trade him because um, I think he means a lot. And then hard the same thing. Second round pick last year didn't make one of the first or second all rookie teams. I think he's going to be a really good player. If the team was smart, they'd be trying to get him <laughs> if, if they were uh, needing some point guard help because I think he's got potential to be a starter in this league long term. I love Neesmith. And part of the reason I love Neesmith is because – kind of forgotten. He is, you know? man. <laughs> we, we, like, we hardly talk about yeah, him. Yeah, like I know. And then Hand raised. He, he, can win, you know, he can guard. Yeah. Um, I love guys, anybody who – and this, this is – this is not going to stun anybody because it, it really is a lot like me. I, I like any player that's able to contribute where nothing has to go through them. You know what I mean? Like, they don't have to be the guy. They're just there. They're happy to be there. I'm not saying he's happy to be there. But but you don't have to orchestrate things through Neesmith for him to contribute. And, mm-hmm. I, Alex, I do think I, – I think you're right. I think he's the piece that we kind of forget about that his flexibility gives them – he could be a really big piece for them. And I think he is a versatile sixth man. Wouldn't you agree ultimately that's going to be his role? Uh, I would assume so. I think they want to continue to add depth on the wings. And, you know, he can't play four for the next 82 games next season. I just That's impossible. You're a little too small with him. And I think they kind of realized that, okay, it, it worked for a little while. Um, but we definitely saw him take a bit of a dip when Tyrese wasn't out there. I mean, Tyrese just raises the floor of everybody because he's so fantastic at uh, facilitating and getting the offense moving. But, you know, I just think that Neesmith on the defensive side is really what he brings. You know, the, the part of him that I like the most is his defense and hustle. Uh, if he can knock down threes, like you're talking about, a 3 and D guy that you got, you know, for Malcolm Brogdon in that trade. But I think it was a perfect move for both sides at the time. And, um, yeah, I just – I mean, if he has to be included in a trade because you're trying to get someone better, I totally get it. But at this point, I think the Pacers really value him and, and what he brings to the table. So, yeah, I, I think six-man is the spot for him, and he could be a guy that even closes out uh, games sometimes just because of his defensive presence. All right, Alex, last one from me. Would you rather have factor in age, factor in contract, the whole thing, would you rather have Isaiah Jackson or Trace Jackson Davis on the Pacers? Oh, that's a good question. Uh, and I, I guess just to throw out there, uh, two years younger Isaiah Jackson than Trace Jackson Davis. Contractually, two years left on his deal would be a restricted free agent. You want to look three years out. I think it's just north of $2 million this year. That rises to north of $4 million next year. I will say this, and I'm try- I feel like Isaiah Jackson hasn't really gotten the, the biggest opportunity to showcase what he can become. It takes longer for, for bigs like that to develop in this league. But I was a little – I was kind of shocked when they took him, when they, when they traded up for him to take him in the draft. I think the idea of Isaiah Jackson is a lot better than what we've seen these first two years. And Trace Jackson Davis, to me, is someone that I think can add a little bit more – 
uh, an overall skill set. Now, he is not as elite of a defender as Isaiah Jackson can be. But uh, it, it's going it, to – I think they're pretty close to me personally. Uh, a lot of people would probably lean Isaiah Jackson just because of the uh, the lob threat ability, the upside talent there. But I think that I would feel more comfortable with Trace uh, long-term just because I think I, I know what he is as a prospect, and I'm still trying to figure out what Isaiah can become. Uh, so if you're looking for, like, potential, I, I can see the case for Isaiah. But if it was me picking between the two, I personally would rather have Trace Jackson Davis just because I think he can do a little bit more for me. Um, and neither of them are shooters, so I just feel like I get more of a high-Q uh, basketball player between the two. Alex Golden NBA on Twitter. Alex, Christmas Eve for you tonight? You know, it's to the point where I'm just ready for the Pacers to make the pick. <laughs> <laughs> I've talked at nauseum about these picks. It's the same thing with the Colts draft process. You know how that goes. It's oh, like, yeah. At what point, there's nothing else more than I can say that I probably haven't already said uh, about these guys on the podcast and stuff like that, so I'm just kind of interested to see what they do and, and finally get some answers. So, uh, yeah, it's like I guess it's like Christmas because we're finally going to get to open the present and see what we got. Amen to that. Alex, great stuff, man. Uh, we'll chat with you next week about how all the madness plays out. Absolutely, guys. Thanks for having me on, and keep up the great work.